Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, welcome back to Nintendo Switchcraft. This is the show that you want to listen to if you want to get all the Nintendo news. We've got some big news this week because Metroid Dread is finally here. I've been playing it um, a lot in the past two days, which is hilarious because my time to actually sit and play games in the last two days has been fairly limited, but it's all been Metroid all the time. So I'm going to give my first impressions of that game in just a moment. But first, I'd like to talk about... Um, Sora coming to Smash Brothers. We have been looking at this game and wondering who's the next character since it first came to the Nintendo Switch. I did go back and watch some of the like reaction videos of when when Nintendo first announced Smash Ultimate, that awesome video where they had the Splatoon kids fighting each other. And then the females uh, Splatoon kid, Inkling, what I can I can never remember what they're called. Um, like she sees the Smash logo, and everybody lost their minds. It was great. What an awesome, amazing reveal! And then the idea when they showed off that every character that's ever been in a Smash game ever was going to be in Smash, and then they kept adding more characters to it. The capstone of this game that is about a celebration of gaming and bringing different characters together, the capstone being Sora, a character from a video game where you are bringing characters from all of these different uh, movies together, is perfect. Like, it's perfect. I have no dog in this race. I've never played Kingdom Hearts. I don't care about Sora as a character, but you you look at what he represents for Kingdom Hearts, and it's the perfect end game when it comes to uh, Smash characters being added. And of course, there's going to be people who you know, want this character, want that character, and they're going to be unhappy. And I totally understand as somebody who myself wanted them to clone Pac-Man and give us a Ms. Pac-Man because Ms. Pac-Man is better than Pac-Man. And it would have been cool to give us a Ms. Pac-Man, but we didn't get that, and I'm okay with that. I'll just keep playing as Pac-Man. He's my favorite character in Smash. I didn't pick up the Fighter's Pass. I picked up the first Fighter's Pass, but not the second one. Uh, and the se- I didn't pick up the second one because even with all the, the fighters that were included in the first Fighters Pass, I just played with them for a couple of minutes and then went back to Pac-Man. He's my main. So I I don't care what character gets added, but I like the idea of Sora as a character. And you couple everything that I've said so far with the fact that he's the most requested character. For those of you that, that, you, that don't remember... Back when Smash 4 
came to the Wii U and the 3DS, um, Mr. Sakurai did a poll where they said, which characters do you want to see added to Smash? Which was really, really cool. And the most requested character, which we never found out about that, but the most requested character was Sora. Now, up until this point, we never had seen the results of that poll. So maybe they're full of beans. I don't know. But, I mean, Mr. Sakurai basically said, look, the reason we didn't say who was the biggest um, requests is because we didn't want to unfairly put pressure on other companies to allow us to use their IP in our game. And I think that's a, you know, that's a good move. That's the right thing to do. But now that you're all done, now that uh, they've finished and we've got what I think it's 89 characters in Smash, it's okay to say, hey, the one that you wanted the most, that's the one that we gave you. We gave you Sora. They were able to work with not only Square Enix, but Disney in order to get this character into Smash. Uh, He did go through and show how the character plays. Cool, I guess. I was kind of hoping that in the final Smash, you would see like Donald and Goofy and Mickey and some other Disney characters like show up and help out. Um, Maybe that's a bridge too far. I don't know. But Overall, I think Sora looks cool. The way that uh, he uses magic seems very interesting where you just kind of use a fire spell. And then the next spell that you cast is a thunder spell. And then the next spell that you cast is an ice spell. Instead of having to have different inputs for each one, you just use them in order. I think that that's really cool. The way that Sakurai talked about it, it seemed like this is a character with a low skill floor. And I like that a lot. I like adding in characters that have a low skill floor. It doesn't mean that there's not a high skill ceiling, but a low skill floor means I can play it and have fun with it. Not that I'm going to, because I'm going to stick with Pac-Man. You all know that. Anyway, I think that it's awesome that Sora is now in Smash Brothers. I think that he's a really good end character, uh, character to end on. And I think overall, the video, not the video, the, like, how they unveiled him was amazing. Like, I I think I said this a minute ago because I I edited a little bit of the podcast uh, uh, as I was going. And when I, when <laughs> I, I had Aurora Peachy on my show, 143 Pixels, to talk about Kingdom Hearts and how much she loves that game. And when I saw that it was Sora, I immediately went to go see what her reaction was, and it did not disappoint. She screamed so loud that the limiter in her microphone took over and, like, shut her microphone off. So you couldn't hear her reaction at all. But you could see how excited she was. It was really it was really great. I always like watching people react to things that they are excited about and see how passionate they are about these kind of things so overall i think Sora's is a great character to add to to smash as the final character i think there's a lot of similarities that that go along with that i'm not going to pay for it or buy him or play him because i got pac-man 
and I got 88 other characters to play with if I want. So uh, for anybody who's mad that it wasn't their character that they wanted, just keep in mind, you got 88 other characters to play around with. You can find something that appeals to the way that you play. Um, Speaking of Smash-style games, I uh, got a review copy of Nickelodeon's All-Star Brawl, going to have a video out on my youtube channel at some point about it i playing on xbox not on switch although i assume it's going to be fairly similar this isn't going to break the 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 resolution bank or anything uh it's a decent looking game i think it'll probably play almost identically across platforms um but if that's something that you're interested in make sure you head on over to the youtube channel uh, very, very like Smash, that game is. All right, let's move on and talk about this uh, this interview over on Nintendo's website, and then we'll talk about Metroid Dread. There's this really interesting um, developer interview over at Nintendo.com. I'm going to uh, try and remember to throw a link in the show notes so that you can read it yourself. And there's a... There's a question about the Joy-Cons, which I think is something that I want to talk about real quick. For those of you who are listening for the first time, welcome. If uh, if you didn't know, you can get this show ad-free over at patreon.com slash runjumpstomp. But people who've been listening to this for an extended period of time, the show, you all already know what's going on with Joy-Con. For anybody who's new to the Nintendo Switch, um, Joy-Con Drift is an issue that we've been dealing with since the launch of the Nintendo Switch. We it, And for those of you that don't know what Joy-Con Drift is, um, I'm sure that you'll find out at some point. But basically, it's where you are not doing any inputs on the joysticks and your Nintendo Switch is telling... Uh, the Joy-Cons are still telling it that there's some kind of input. So your character will kind of spin around or um, you won't be able to aim correctly because it's always kind of drifting in one direction. And uh, there's some really uh, good information out there about how it happens. But essentially, over time, your joysticks wear out. And we've seen uh, videos on YouTube of people trying to fix it themselves. I had a a Joy-Con that was undergoing that drift. And so I, I went on on the internet and found a video that showed me how to fix, uh, you know, replace something or a part of it myself. And so I took apart my Joy-Con, couldn't get it back together. Uh, those of you who are, like, good at that kind of thing, you're probably laughing at me, then that's totally fine. But dealing with very very small parts is not something that i just have the ability to do um i'm kind of clumsy and it was it was tough i ended up completely breaking that joy-con because i could not get it back together the right way and then i just ended up not ever using it again because i ruined it essentially um like i said there's been a lot of people who have different solutions for how to fix it. The best solution, by the way, for how to fix it is to send it to Nintendo and have them send you send it back to you. Um, keep in mind, 
that when they do this, they often will send you back a different one. So if you have like a collector's edition version of your Joy-Cons, keep that in mind. When you send it in, you may not get back the ones that you send. They may just send you a refurbished set that they've already have on hand. Just be warned. Uh, but in this interview, which, I mean, let's be honest, it's posted to Nintendo's website. So how much of a quote-unquote interview is it, or is it just PR? Um, but in this interview, they are talking extensively about all of the things that they did to bring the Switch OLED model to fruition. Um, and it's a very, very interesting read. So again, I'll try and put the link in the show notes so you can check it out yourself. But one of the questions in here is about those Joy-Cons and the Joy-Con Drift. And uh, I'm going to read a, a little bit of this to you. All right. So um, here's the question. Another major characteristic of the Nintendo Switch is the Joy-Con controllers. A big part of the user experience comes from the Joy-Con. But were there any improvements? Uh, Mr. Yamashita responds with, Joy-Con controllers have a lot of different features, so we've uh, been continuing to make improvements that may not always be visible. Among others, the analog stick parts have continuously been improved since launch, and we're still working on improvements. The analog stick at first release cleared the Nintendo reliability test using the method of rotating the stick while continuously applying load to it. Basically, clicking in the stick and then rotating it over and over and over again is what they're saying with the same criteria as the Wii U gamepads analog stick. So uh, what Mr. Yamashita is saying here is, look, the Nintendo Switch had the same exact testing requirements in order to pass our rigorousness tests as the Wii U did. And so keep that in mind when we talk about uh, Joy-Con drift, although they never actually really mention it here. Uh, then they, they continue. As we have always been trying to improve it as well, we have investigated the Joy-Con controllers used by the consumers that repeatedly improved the wear resistance and durability. Notice they didn't say drift. The parts of the Joy-Con analog sticks are not something that can be bought off the shelf, but are spe uh, specially designed. So we've undergone a lot of considerations to improve upon them. In addition, we have improved the reliability test itself, and we have continued to make changes to improve the durability and clear this new test. So they're saying we've improved our testing in order to um, make sure that we're shipping out stuff that's going to last longer, and the new stuff that we're sending out is passing that test. All right, great. They go on. When the, uh, when the effects of our improvements were confirmed, we promptly incorporated them into the Joy-Con controllers that are included with the console, Nintendo Switch Lite, and the ones sold individually that were manufactured at this, at this time. This involves the internal components of the Joy-Con, so you can't tell the improvements from the outside, but we use the new versions of the parts when we repair them. Also, similar continual improvements have been made for the Nintendo Switch Pro Controller as well. Question. Do you mean that basically wear is unavoidable as long as the parts are physically in contact? Mr. Shiota replied, yes. For example, car tires wear out as, car, as, as the car moves, as they are in constant friction with the ground to rotate. 
Uh, I can attest to this as we now have to buy new tires to my wife's car. That's me, not Mr. Shiota. Anyway, uh, back to Mr. Shiota. He says, so with that same premise, we asked ourselves, how can we improve the durability? And not only that, but how can we both operationally, operationally and durability coexist? It's something that we can are continually, tra- continuously tracking. What I think that he's saying there is it's tough for them to increase the durability without decreasing how usable these things are. Uh, by making them more durable, you make it work not as well. Um, I'm not an engineer, so I don't know. Maybe there's a good reason for that. Uh, Mr. Yamashita uh, responded. He said the degree of wear depends on factors like the combination of the materials and forms. So we continue to make improvements by researching which combinations are less likely to wear. So essentially, they're changing the shape of certain parts, and they're changing what those certain parts are either made with or coated with or in contact with in order to make them wear down less frequently. He went on to say, We mentioned that the Joy-Con controller specifications hadn't changed in the sense that we didn't add new features, such as new buttons, but the analog sticks in the Joy-Con controllers included with the OLED model are the latest version with all the improvements. Needless to say, so are the analog sticks included with the Switch, the Switch Lite, separately sold Joy-Con controllers, and the Switch Pro controller that is currently being shipped. Okay, so all this comes down to the idea, and maybe I wasn't paying close enough attention in the past, and maybe that's on me, maybe it's all of us, I don't know, but I don't remember, you know, I had an Xbox, or I didn't have an original Xbox, my roommate had an Xbox, I had an Xbox 360, Um, I had friends that had a PS3, Um, I had a PS4, and I had a Wii U, a GameCube, I had all of these different gaming devices that had uh, thumbsticks, and I just can't recall ever hearing about joystick drift until the Nintendo Switch. And I've also heard about it for the PS5. I don't remember ever hearing about it until the Nintendo Switch. So is this something, is this a new phenomenon that I just never heard about until the Switch came out? And, you know, in the past four years, that's all we've heard about is Joy-Con drift over and over and over again. And now with the PS5, we're, we're hearing that same thing. Is this a new phenomenon or were we just not paying attention before? I don't know. But the idea that like the way that uh, Mr. Shiota said, it's like, you know, your car's tires wear out over time. Of course they do. And then they need to be replaced. If that's the case, if if Mr. Shiota is being 100% um, honest with us in this case, then why weren't we running into these issues in the past? And maybe we were, and we just didn't have Twitter. I don't know. But I found it to be really interesting that they, they talked extensively about this. Now, somebody might look at this, the article, and they'd be like, Okay, how come they never mentioned the drift? Well, because currently Nintendo is being sued and anything that they say could be used against them 
in that lawsuit. So they have to be very, very careful about how they answer their questions. They can't they can't say, hey, everybody, uh, these new Joy-Cons are not going to drift anymore because that's that's like admitting that the old ones were drifting. Um, I think it would be better. I mean, Nintendo is a publicly traded company. Their stock would take a nosedive if they came right out and said, yeah, our stuff is broke and we're going to do our best to fix it. Like that, that would hurt them. Absolutely. And that's why they don't do it. But I do think it would be like the good guy move. You know, speaking of good guy moves, uh, Valve recently, uh, you know, they've got the Steam Deck, which a lot of people are doing a lot of comparisons between the Nintendo Switch and the Steam Deck. And they may, they put out this video, and I'll talk about this video on one of my other podcasts, On Deck, uh, which you should check out if you haven't. Um, in the, this video that Valve put out, they showed you how to replace their joy their joysticks. And they said, hey, by the way, we're going to sell these replacement parts, so if something happens to yours, you can get it repaired. You know, earlier in this interview, I think it was Mr. Yamashita said something along the lines of, yeah, you can't buy these. Only we can do this. And I just, I don't know. I think it would be really good for Nintendo to say, hey, if uh, your joysticks are drifting, you can buy replacements from us rather than having to send your Joy-Con in and wait for it to come back. I mean, for me, the guy who could not take apart a Joy-Con and put it back together. I'm not going to do that. But there's a lot of people who are far more uh, technically apt than I am when it comes to fiddling with small circuitry uh, who would know what the hell they're doing and would be able to put it back together and take it apart and put it back together. Um, Nintendo should sell those. You should be able to go and get replacement parts for your Nintendo Switch from Nintendo. Uh, rather than trying to buy stuff like third-party nonsense online. I don't know. Anyway, I thought that it was an interesting article, and I wanted to talk about it a little bit. But let's move on. We want to talk about Metroid now. The Atari video computer system is 20 cartridges with 1,300 game variations you play on your own TV set. All right, let's talk about Metroid Dread. Uh, Yesterday... After work, uh, I told you about my wife's car a minute ago. Uh, I had to go and meet my wife in town because she was dropping her car off to get get her inspection done. Of course, that's when they tell you that you got to get new tires. Uh, but we, we dropped her car off, and while I was waiting for her to show up, I ran over to Best Buy, and I picked up Metroid Dread. Now, if you've been listening to the show for any length of time, you know I very much prefer digital games. I bought Metroid Dread as a physical copy because I wanted to be able to share it with my son rather than buy the game twice. Uh, He's got his own Switch, and uh, one of the very first games that I remember him playing was on the Wii U, and he played Super Metroid on the Wii U, and he loved that game uh, back when he was uh, much, much younger, it seems. Um, But Metroid Dread, he was pretty excited for, so I ended up picking up the physical version And I got to say, I got home last night, sat down, and I did a stream over on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash nerdnest. Head on over there, hit subscribe, and click all the buttons. It helps us out. It really, really does. Uh, But I did a a live stream 
uh, for, I don't know, like an hour, 50 minutes or so. And I have got to say, this game is, this is the kind of game that makes you understand why people love Nintendo. This is the kind of game that makes you understand why a Nintendo Switch is a necessary thing to have. I I do a Nintendo podcast, and for the last, I don't know, year or so, I have really not played many games on my Nintendo Switch. There just hasn't been a lot that I was excited about. And as somebody who is uh, a, a doofus in his attic recording a show into a microphone, um, I don't make enough money from this show to spend money on video games that I'm not going to play. So my Nintendo Switch, for the most part, has kind of collected dust. I mean, I pick it up and play games from time to time, but it's not its not like it was a couple of years ago where it was massive hit from Nintendo after massive hit after massive hit. It was just one after another of amazing games coming. All that kind of dried up with the pandemic. And I'm not... Listen, I am not saying anything bad about Nintendo here. They didn't announce any games, and they didn't delay any games, according to them. Uh, and it's just, we haven't had a lot of first-party awesome stuff from Nintendo. And say what you want about the indie scene on the Nintendo Switch, it's awesome. But that's that's a nice side benefit of a Nintendo Switch. The real, real benefit of a Nintendo Switch is having access to Nintendo's games because anything else that you want to say about Nintendo, they make incredible games. They really do. And this last year, I just have not had much to get excited about. Well, that's all over. Metroid Dread is... Uh, look, I'm I'm about three hours in, maybe four hours in. I'm not sure how long I played it for this morning, but it was longer than I should have because I had to mow the lawn. But uh, this game is, it is fantastic. Let's first talk about the graphics. Um, I'm When I play the game, I'm playing it on a 4K screen. Obviously not playing at 4K. It's got some kind of weird upscaling that your TV does. Uh, it looks beautiful. It looks absolutely beautiful. Does it look like a 4K game? Of course not. It doesn't look like a 4K game, but it looks gorgeous. The environments are uh, just packed to the absolute brim with details for you to look at as Samus runs from one side to the next. The animations, oh my good god, the animations in this game are some of the best that you've ever seen in any game. Like, the details in how Samus and... Not just Samus, but the other characters in the game. The way that they move is phenomenal. You know, you walk up to an area that's a little too small for Samus to fit through. And in other in other games, you walk up to a like a spot and you just kind of... You walk up to the wall and you kind of stand there. You push a little bit harder and the character just stands there. Not in Metroid Dread. Samus reaches forward with her hand and kind of 
just braces herself against the wall and kind of bends down a little and peers through that opening that she can't crawl through yet because I have not yet got the the morph ball ability. That kind of thing. I'm going to say, I'm not going to say it's important, but when it's there, it is so impressive. Um, the animations for how Samus and the other characters in the game move is so realistic and believable. You feel like this is a real, uh, a real place. The graphics are gorgeous. The animations are top notch. Let's talk about the Emmys or the EMMI robots that are trying to hunt you down. Um, so in the game, you've got these robots. I'm not going to spoil anything. You got these robots that are trying to hunt you down for reasons. And you cannot kill them without certain abilities. And each one of them has like an area that it is in charge of protecting, I guess. So you go into this area and the whole the whole area is kind of got this darkened vibe to it where it's almost like if you if you close your eyes right now if you're driving don't do this but if you close your eyes right now you can kind of see like little black dots moving around with your eyes closed and you see those little black dots all over everything uh, when you're in the the emmy zones uh and you always know when you go into one of these emmy zones now you take that uh that 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 tells you this is not a safe place. And then you can see on your mini map, if they come close to you, you see a big red dot and you're, you have, you have options. Uh, I won't tell you what options you have, but number one option is run away. You want to get away from these things. If they chase you down and they touch you, you're dead. Uh, you do have a slight ability in order to like, Right before they kill you, uh, just kind of do a quick dodge and then run away some more and hope that they don't catch up to you. But I find that that's really hard to nail the timing of. So you're better off just don't get caught by one of these things. Don't try and shoot at them. You see this thing, you run away. And it reminds me very much of the Xenomorph in Alien Isolation. When Whenever you came into contact with that thing, your options are hide or run and you you have got to find a way to traverse these areas defended by these uh robots without getting caught by them and it really heightens the intensity of the moments and i absolutely love it now eventually you get a thing which will allow you to take one of them out and uh when you once you take it out you know those weird little black dots that are changing the look of the zone that you're in? Those kind of evaporate. And that tells you, okay, I've taken out the Emmy in this particular zone, so now it's safe for me to wander around until you find the next one. And now you're you're right back into the, the problem where you got to move slow. You got to like peer. I, I almost like say peer around the corner, but it's a 2D game. You kind of have to peer around the corner. You don't want to move too quick because if you come right up upon them, 
they will find you, they will see you, they will find you, and they will hunt you down, and they will absolutely kill you. The thing that I love about it is even when they kill you, you're not set back so far. They just kind of put you right outside the Emmy area, and you can jump back in. And so if you do get killed by an Emmy a bunch of times in a row, you don't feel like you've lost too much. The rest of the game, uh, outside of the Emmy stuff, again, is fantastic. Samus's traversal is top-notch. You've got this new slide ability where as you're running along, you can hit your... Um, I think it's one of the triggers. I can't remember which one. And she'll kind of drop down and slide underneath stuff, which is really, really fun. Uh, you can do your wall jumps as well. You've got like the ability to climb on walls eventually. The traversal in the game is really, really great. I never played Samus Returns on the 3DS. And in that game, they added the melee um, counterattack where you could do a quick attack with your arm to kind of knock an enemy back and stun it and then shoot it real fast. That is back in Metroid Dread. And it feels fantastic when you're when you are just sprinting along the corridors and some monster comes up on you and you just you do your quick melee attack and automatically lock on and follow it up with a a blast from your arm cannon it's incredibly satisfying i look 3 4 hours in to this game i have zero complaints absolute well no that's not true i have one complaint my one complaint so far is there's been a time or two where I felt like I'm stuck and I'm looking at the map and I'm like, I can't figure out where, I, where I'm supposed to go. And then I accidentally figure out how I'm supposed to get through, like by shooting a certain block that I never noticed before that I could shoot. Uh, and then it opens it up for me to go through. Like that kind of thing I do wish was like, give me the ability to hit a button like the, I don't know, the minus button on my switch controller. Let me hit that button and send out like a pulse every three minutes or so. Put it on a long timer if you have to, that will help me locate these things. So when I do get stuck, I don't, it's not up to random chance and luck that I happen to shoot the right block at the right time and, and notice that I can fall through. That's my only complaint about this. You know, I brought up the map a second ago. That map is fantastic. You zoom in as close as you want. Uh, you know, maybe like there's a missile container and you can see it on the map and you put your little marker over it. And if it's something that you've interacted with before, it'll tell you what it is. It'll tell you if you've picked it up. Um, the map is incredibly easy to read. I love that if you hit left on the D-pad, it makes your mini map bigger. But I love being able to bring up the big map and very easily see like where I've been, where I might need to go and try and figure out how I'm going to get there. Obviously, I've got a lot more playing to do for this game. And so expect me to talk more about it next week, I think. Uh, Metroid Dread is a, is a must-buy on the Nintendo Switch. It is the it, it it justifies Nintendo's existence, in my opinion. Like these kind of games are why we love Nintendo, because of games like Metroid Dread and uh, you know Breath of the Wild and Animal Crossing. 
these games are fantastic. And I'm looking at the box now, because I, I, like I said, I've got the physical version. And I feel like this could be a contender for my game of the year for like, and I, I don't usually put too much stock into game of the year stuff, but like this might be my favorite game that I've played this year. And I play a lot of games. I don't finish a lot of games, but I play a bunch of them. And like right now, this is, this is on, on track to be a masterpiece. So if you've never played a Metroid game before, or if you've played all of them and you're not sure about playing this one, uh, check out my my live stream. I left it on the YouTube channel so you can check it out if you want. Or just go and pick this up. It's really good, and you're going to have a lot of fun with it. Now, uh, for those of you that don't know, I have another podcast called Stadia Cast, and I got a review copy of Far Cry 6. So I'm going to stop talking now and go play Far Cry 6 so that I can talk about Far Cry 6 on StadiaCast tomorrow over on my YouTube channel, nerdnest.tv. Thank you so, so much for listening. And if you want to get these episodes early, head on over to uh, um, uh, patreon.com slash runjumpstomp and join at the early access tier. And you can get these episodes as soon as I'm done recording them. Uh, which means that you get them a couple days early most weeks. Anyway, hope you all have a wonderful day, and let me know what you think of Metroid Dread. I am at RunJumpStomp on Twitter. Bye, everybody.